Well, as the story goes, there was a conference and a Presbyterian, a Hindu, and a Jew were traveling together to this conference. They needed a place to stay and they passed a farmer. So they went into the farmhouse, knocked on the door, and the farmer said, well, I, I, I have only two beds in the house, but I've got a barn, the third can sleep out there. So very graciously, the Hindu said, I, I'll sleep out in the barn. Some point during the night, there's a knock on the door, and it's the Hindu on the doorstep. And he says, I'm sorry, I can't sleep in the barn. There's a cow in the barn. And oh, so the Jew says, don't, don't worry about it. Very graciously, he says, I'll go out and sleep in the barn. So he goes out there. Again, there's another knock on the door uh, late, later that night, and it's the Jew on the doorstep. I can't, there's a pig in the barn. I can't sleep in the barn. I'm so sorry. The Presbyterian finally rubs the sleep out of his eyes, grabs his pillow, and goes out to the hay. But then a couple hours later in the night, there's this knock on the door, a heavy hand on the door, and the farmer opens it, and there's a pig and a cow on the doorstep. <laughs> I know it's cheap. I just wanted to see you smile this morning. <laughs> The English dictionary defines hospitality this way. The act of being friendly and welcoming to guests and visitors. That's a good definition of hospitality. The act of being friendly and welcoming guests and visitors. It's a good definition. But the Bible goes further. In fact, the New Testament word for hospitality literally means love strangers. It's the love of strangers. Uh, the word is xenophilia. You can almost hear it, xenophilia. Xeno is the word for stranger, like we talk about xenophobia, the fear of strangers. And phila is the, or phileo is the word for love, like Philadelphia city of brother of love. So you put xenophilia and it's the love of stranger. That's what hospitality, now that's, that's more than just being kind to guests or being a friendly person. It's loving someone who is strange. I want to reflect uh, a little bit on what I would call radical hospitality with you today. And here's why I think this um, message might be meaningful to you. Two reasons, actually. <clears throat> One is, I'm going to talk to you today about something that you can do to make the world a better place. And secondly, I'm talking to you today about something that I think might help you understand your faith a little bit better, no matter where you are on the faith journey. So let's talk about radical hospitality for a few minutes. We're going to learn from the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. Would you open your Bible to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, which is on page 923 of the Pew Bible. Remember, as I said, first 11 chapters, man of reconciliation, the good news of the gospel, Jesus does to reconcile us. And then at chapter 12, turning a corner to give practical advice for those who would live with the man of reconciliation in houses of reconciliation here in Rome. So we're beginning that. Let's uh, stand if you're, if you're able, and we'll read Romans 12, 9 through 21, out loud together. And when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you, 
Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. You might leave the book open. Look again at verse 13b, second half of that. <clears throat> Extend hospitality to strangers. That's the heart of the text. Extend hospitality to strangers. We could translate that phrase, make loving strangers your active pursuit. Make loving strangers your active pursuit. <clears throat> I'd like to take apart the two parts of that word hospitality, love, stranger, and, and, and think about them in turn, and then reflect on the whole phrase uh, with you. So first, let's talk about the first part, that uh, philo part, the love part. Love. In Luke chapter 5, we read about Jesus meeting a tax collector named Levi. He'll later be called Matthew, and he'll write the first gospel. Jesus says to the tax collector, who was not loved in that culture, they were Roman sympathizers and kind of outcasts socially. Jesus says to him, follow me. And Levi takes this to be an invitation to join Jesus. And the first thing he does is what? Anyone know this story? He throws a party. Levi throws a party. Hospitality. He grabs all of his buddies. Unfortunately, they were not the high and mighty, the haughty. They were the lowly. They were the other tax collectors. But he says, just the same. Come to my, my house. Tonight we're having a party. There's a man named Jesus that's going to be there. Hospitality. And, he, he, and we read in, in Luke chapter 5, Levi gave a great banquet for Jesus in his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors were sitting at the table with Jesus. Just put yourself at that table for a minute. You're a friend of Levi, and you've been invited, and now you're eating his food. What's it mean to be sitting at that table? I mean, this is a very simple question. I think it just means I matter. I'm included. I'm worth something. That's, a, that's the subtle message that's conveyed anytime you offer someone hospitality. They, they matter. The relationship between you and them is an important relationship. And there, if I'm a tax collector, I'm going, wow, I matter to Levi. But more than that, Levi said, I want you at this table because there's another one here that's something quite different, Jesus. And so the other message of hospitality is, I matter to Jesus. I matter to God. My relationship with God, even if I didn't know that I had one, is an important relationship. This is what's going on. This is, and, uh, this is an experience of love. It's concrete, tangible, it's simple, but it is an experience of love. 
Now, Levi becomes Matthew. He writes the gospel. And his message, if you read the message of, of Matthew, the gospel, it's all about love, how God loves uh, rebels and sinners. And, and that's, that's Matthew's message. That was Jesus' message, do you remember? It's all about love. God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves this world that much and in that way. And of course, this is also the message of the Apostle Paul. He has said in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God proves his love for us. God proves his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So now there's this demonstration of love Paul wants to talk about. I want to talk about this practically, what that love can look like, and, and it's hospitality. It's an expression of love. Let me just, this, is, this may seem like a stretch for you, but I'm just going to step to the side here and, and add, as I've reflected about on, on, on hospitality this week, I think the implication of hospitality is that there's something worthy of love in the world. There's something that will elicit your love once you see it. In other words, there's a feast here. This to me seems to be kind of the assumption of, of an act of hospitality, that there's something we should celebrate. There's something we want to celebrate. There's something beautiful here. There's something good here. There's something profound here. Now, we oftentimes don't see it with our eyes in a broken world where there's a lot of enmity still at work, but this is the nature of faith. People of faith are people who see all of that, but they also see a beauty, a belovedness, a creator and a redeemer who has said, this is all mine. With all of its beauty, with all of its ugliness, it's all mine because I love it all. I want you to think about that. There's a feast here. Even in your life, there's a feast. I decided I want to be a person who realizes there's a feast. Now, look, this is the message of Jesus. I'm, this isn't too much of a stretch. Wherever Jesus goes, in fact, the, he's throwing parties, right? The Gospel of Luke is nothing except for about 10 dinner parties with Jesus. That's, that's how he, Luke arranges his Gospel. And then wherever Jesus goes, the followers of Jesus remember him telling stories about a party. He'll start off saying, uh, a great king held a banquet and he invited. This is what the kingdom is like. There's a great king and there's a great banquet. There's a party and the king goes out and he invites and you're invited. Now, unfortunately, a lot of these stories, Jesus has to say, no one came. <laughs> but I want to be the guy who comes. There's a feast here, brothers and sisters. And I want to be the guy who says, yes, I'm in. I want to celebrate because I'm loved, because you're loved, because this city is loved, because this world is loved, our neighbors are loved. So uh, this is what we find, I think. Radical hospitality is an expression of love. Let's move on to the second part of the word, uh, hospitality, and that is uh, strangers. Now, this is where it gets a bit more challenging. This part of the words, the stranger part, the xenos part, tells us that this love we're talking about is not a sentimental, superficial, naive kind of love. This is a love for strangers, for, for xenos. What is a stranger? Well, somebody who's different. You may be different because you're not from here, and that makes you a stranger. You may be different because you don't look like me, talk like me, think like me, eat like me, watch the same movies I watch, listen to the same music I, I watch because you don't vote like me. Now, by the way, as I say that, you might be thinking of your spouse. <laughs> As oftentimes, they say love opposites attract. Um, and the fact is, yeah, the stranger is really closer than you would like to admit. It may be a family member. It may be someone you work with. It may be 
um, the person living next door. But uh, we're all strangers when you think about it. There's all something in each of us that is a xenos, that is a stranger. By the way, it's that part of you that when you go to somebody else's house to enjoy their hospitality, you hope won't also show up. <laughs> it's that George that I'm kind of hoping won't show up at the party. It's that George that I'm hoping nobody else really sees, right? That's the, that's the strange part of George. And there's part of you that is strange even to you. There's a part of you that's hard to understand, that's hard to control, that's hard to live with. Let's be honest, that's hard to love. We're all, in some way, strangers. So the question is, how do we love strangers? Whether that's the stranger in you or the stranger in your spouse, the stranger in your roommate, how do we do it? Well, let me give you two words. The first is courageously. We need to love strangers courageously. That's what Paul is driving at. Did you pick that up? Paul's not talking about what I would call a permissive love. Look at verse 9. He says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Here's the wisdom. The Apostle Paul knows that oftentimes love will distort our understanding of what is good and bad, what is right and wrong. Love will do that. We see this in popular music in America. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right, we sing. It can't be wrong when it feels so right, we sing, right? In the culture today, we are taught that you can't love someone without affirming every choice that they make. And Paul says, that's not true. Hate to burst your bubble. He says, love genuinely, hate what's evil, and hold fast. Get a good grip on what is good. This summer, I was worshiping in a church, and there was a, a children's sermon that I don't think I would ever do with our children in the room. So if you're you know, under 18, plug your ears. This is not for you. But the pastor had the kids right in front and said, said see that balcony up there? He says, it's about four inches wide. And he said, do you think it'd be a good idea to walk across that? And of course, a boy immediately said, yes. You know, that was not the answer he was looking for. I just didn't like the suggestion of even visualizing our kids walking across the balcony like that. I got thinking about it. I think, you know, if you see a kid walking on our balcony, you're going to say, please get off that right now. And the reason you're going to say that is not to shame them. It's not because you're better than them. It's not to judge them. It's because you value them. Your life is worth more than this. I love you. You matter to us. So get off the balcony. See, see what, you see what I'm saying? God's commandments to us are given not to judge us, not to put us in our place, not to dishonor us, to actually help us appreciate how valuable we are. You matter too much for me. You are worthy in a way that you can't even understand. And so I tell you, I don't want anything for you but that which is good. That's what Paul says. You know, you know love is, is not permissive in that way. If you're to love someone, you've got to be courageous. This is not, this is not easy. So we've got to be loving courageously. The other thing we have to be loving is unconditionally. Because secondly, Paul's not talking here about an exclusive love. Notice verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Ah, now we have opponents. Bless those who persecute you. Now, did he say... Um, resist those who persecute you? Did he say mock those who persecute you? 
Did he say, shame those who persecute you? No, he said, bless. Bless them just the way you bless your family members. Love them. Now, this is hard stuff. Most, most commentators, if you read this passage carefully, you yourself will notice that there are two paragraphs here. There are two sections, verses 9 through 13, seem to be about internal relationships inside these house churches. And then 14 through 21 seem to be external relationships. But the point Paul is making here, he's just at the center when he talks about hospitality, he's blowing the whole thing up. He's going, there really is no inside and there really is no outside. There really is no basis for our us versus them tribalism. That's not the nature of the kingdom. Do you see what I'm saying? He's saying, he, he's saying all this love in verses 9 through 14, love one another, awesome stuff. And those house children are like, yeah, we're following along. Then he gets to hospitality, and all of a sudden it's blessed those who persecute you. By the way, the outsiders, you treat them the same way. He says, and if you've got someone that's harmed you, how do you, what do you do with them? He says, host them. Did you see what he says? Feed them, give them drink. You're kidding me. Welcome them inside this. Is that dangerous? Yeah, that's dangerous. Dangerous in the way that the gospel is dangerous. There is a community in each of these houses, but the community is not defined by a perimeter. There is no boundary around these communities. The communities are defined by the center of the community, by Jesus. Oftentimes, the way we talk about this, we talk about the difference between a corral and a watering hole. There is a gathering of animals in a corral, but the, but the gathering is created by a fence. You're in, you're out, the fence, no one's coming, no one's leaving. Corral, it's a fence. But in, in places in Africa, in Australia, there are these natural springs and watering holes will form and, and animals will gather. So now we have another gathering of animals, but it's not defined by the perimeter. We're not maintaining the boundary to make sure the right animals are here and the right animals are not. It's, 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 the set is determined by its center. And involvement in the community is measured by proximity to the center, but to the water. And that's the way the church is defined. Not by the boundary, but by the center. By who Jesus Christ is. What Jesus Christ has done for the world. And proximity to him. That's Paul's understanding. So we've got to love the, the stranger courageously and unconditionally. It's not a permissive love. It's not an exclusive love. We're all welcome at this feast. Radical hospitality pursues the stranger with courageous, unconditional love. Now, let me make one more point on this. Verse 13, look at this. This is kind of cool if you want to be a Bible geek like me. Notice the word extend in English and the word persecute in English in verse 14 are actually the same Greek word. I'm telling you that. It's the exact same Greek word, extend and persecute. And you're like, wow, those words seem really different to me. Here's the, here's the core essence of them both. It's a hunting word, and it means hunt or chase or pursue. If you're a hunter, you're after that fox, and you're chasing that fox. And so essentially, Paul is saying, chase or hunt for hospitality, even with those who are hunting for you. Wow. This is radical hospitality. And I'm not just telling you this with my modern sensibilities. Look all the way back to the third century, origin of Alexandria writes this. Listen to this. He says, how finely does Paul sum up the generosity of the man who pursues hospitality in one word? He's talking about that verb, chase. For by saying that hospitality is to be pursued, he shows that we are not just to receive the stranger when he comes to us, 
but actually to inquire after and look carefully for strangers to pursue them and search them out everywhere. Wow. He's going, I get it. This is not just about sitting back and welcoming people or being friendly when they pass by. This is about pursuing strangers, actively pursuing strangers, to love strangers. So let's, let's reflect on this a little bit. Hospitality is love, stranger. You're getting it. And we're to make loving strangers our active pursuit. Let me ask a few questions. Number one, how do we do it? The great thing about hospitality is it's so simple. It's so ordinary. Um, You only need three things. Time, a table, and some talk. Let me just say a word about each of those. Time. I think this may be the biggest barrier for most of us here in this room. It does take time. Right? And maybe we're so divided in our society today because we've gotten to a place where we don't have time to sit down with one another and to look into each other's eyes and see the common humanity and listen to each other tell who we are. It does take time. But look, I know you're busy and you don't have time to add anything, but I also know this. You look like a pretty healthy group to me. You all are still taking time to eat, right? <laughs> we're Americans. And we eat. So you're going to eat 20 or 21 meals this week. I just want to challenge you to take one of those meals and don't eat it alone. Eat it with a stranger. Could you do that? This is not an ad. This is just a shift. Time. It's going to take 30 minutes this week. Uh, Second, table. You've got to have something to share. It may be food, but it may be something to drink. It may be a a beer, a cup of coffee, a soda. Uh, You need to share something. It doesn't have to be fancy. We're not talking about Martha Stewart here, right? We're not folding napkins. And I, I know some of you are into that, but that's, that's, this is about loving strangers, right? It's not, not about silverware. So it's just food. It could be toast, even without the avocado. You know, it's, it's, it's possible here. I know that's the tip of the hipster spear, right? Avocado toast in Seattle. I, so I love it. But just, it's just something to share. Because I think, I don't know how to say it, but there's something sacred about looking eyeball to eyeball with somebody and, and, and acknowledging you have a mutual need, right? When you eat together, you're both, you, have a, you bring a common hunger. And this starts to efface the distinction between guest and host really quickly. And, and there's also something, I think, sacred about taking a token of that great feast, even if it's something small and simple. You're saying there's a feast here to address that need that you and I both have. So there's a table, time, table. And then the third thing you're going to need is talk. And let me coach you just four words here. Tell me your story. Okay, some of us need to write that down. Because when we get together, we think that the mission is to inform somebody, to persuade somebody, to convince somebody. No, that's not what this is. This is about getting to know somebody, about understanding somebody, about befriending somebody. You're there to host them. So just tell me your story. What a gift that is to hear those words. Share them with somebody today, this week. Oh, I said there were three things. There are really four things because you will need a stranger. <laughs> By the way, about the, uh, about the, uh, the talk part, let me just say this. Uh, I'm aware of a cafe owner who, w- when people have come in over several times to his cafe, he'll walk up to their table and he'll say, hi, my name is Hugh, and it's time for the two-minute talk. And they look a little bit nervous. And he says, yeah, you know, I'm the owner of this place, and I've seen that you've been here half a dozen or so times, and it's time for us to have the talk. So if you're willing, would you give me the two-minute version of your story? 
And if they say yes, he grabs another round of coffee, sits, pulls up a chair, and sits down. He says, what I find is that two minutes quickly becomes 40 minutes, as people tell me who they are. And he says, what I find is that days or weeks, some period later, they inevitably come back and say, hey, Hugh, would you tell me your story? And he says, this is what I like to say. I like to say, uh, yes, but would you mind if I use a little bit of the God talk for part of it? Because it's hard for me to tell you my story without the God part. I love that. And so there we go. Okay, timetable talk. But you do that, need that stranger. Who's going to be your stranger this week? It's, it's, it's going to be uh, maybe that neighbor that you haven't talked to or really gotten to know. You know their dog's name, but you don't even know it. It's, 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 you know, Fido's mommy. Hi, Fido's mommy. How are you? Like, can we grow up and get to know Fido's mommy? By the way, Fido's mommy is probably a canine, but uh, <laughs> it could be the person at the cubicle that you always pass by and you never really get to talking to. It could be a family member who's changed, you know, and they're going through a crisis and you don't even recognize them or feel a little disconnected. It may be that person that you tend to talk theology and politics with and it always goes sideways. It could be a mail carrier. It could be the, the barber that you have. That You need a person, a stranger, someone who's a little different from you to have, take time, table, and talk with. Second question I want to ask is, what would happen if we all did this this week? Would you just imagine with me, if just the people, I don't know how many are in this room, it looks like maybe 600 people or so, seven. What if we all did this this week? Think about our city for a second. I read this summer in the Seattle Times, Seattle is like that popular girl in high school, the one who gets your vote for homecoming queen because she always smiles and says hello, but she doesn't know your name and doesn't care to. She doesn't want to be your friend. She's just being nice. Ouch. I think I dated her. <laughs> oh, no. That's us? Well, it's not us, but it is our city. What a, what a contrast if, if, you're, if you're just the opposite of that. That's what hospitality says. It would make a difference in our city, would it not? Loving strangers? Come on. Think about America. I just recently read a brand new poll that just came out said, here's a change in the last two decades. In 20 years, Americans now are 20% less likely to open their door to have someone over to the house. And when they do, we are 20% more likely to invite nobody but our family or friends. We are getting isolated. Think about Rome. Rodney Stark, when he was at University of Washington, sociologist, tells us that uh, in, from about eighty forty, when Jesus was walking the face of the earth to eighty three hundred, ten percent of the Roman Empire became followers of Jesus Christ. 6.3 million people. Think about that. What happened? Well, Paul is telling us what happened. This is how he launched it. He, this is a letter to Rome, to the house, these little teeny house churches in Rome. And, he, and he's saying, hospitality. It, it will change the city. It would change the empire. How does that work? Well, it was terrifying to the Romans. Remember, look, remember, we talked about it in Romans 16, who were in these house churches. They were strangers to one another. They were Jew and Gentile. They were rich and poor, free and slave, young and old, male and female. That list of names, five house churches, they were really different. But they were breaking bread together. They were rejoicing and laughing together. They were weeping together. And this was so destabilizing to the, the, the social order of the Roman Empire that people despised it. That's where the persecution came from. They feared it because it was going to break apart the power structure of, of Rome. But they loved it. They wanted to know, how could I get involved with it? And it changed the empire. 
We live in a divided world today, and you don't need me to tell you that. We live in a world of strangers. We're strange to one another. We live with our fears of one another. We marginalize and exclude the other. What would happen if we begin to practice hospitality? See, there's a cycle that fear creates in the world. When the world treats strangers with hostility, people get hurt. And hurt people hurt people. And they become hostile people. But when we treat people with hospitality and not hostility, people find healing. Community becomes a hospital. And healed people heal people. And they go off and they become more hospitable. There's something you can do today if you're uncomfortable with the world as you're perceiving it in the news, and that's hospitality. When you start loving strangers, you create a world that's going to be safe for you, safe for others, safe for your children, safe for those whom you serve at your workplace. We can change the world, and it takes hospitality. Before we go do this, let's take a moment just to think about our faith. I promised you this, because it's in the end not our hospitality that changes the world. Ultimately, it's our Savior's hospitality, right? That's why we're here this morning. Understand this, before you invite someone to come and sit in your house, it's essential, it's critical that you come and sit in his house. This is the nature of faith, receiving God's hospitality. The Old Testament prophets talked about an alien heart, like in Deuteronomy uh, 10, 19. He says, love the stranger because you were strangers but you're not anymore because now you live in God's love. And if God has made himself your host and you have invited yourself, you have received God's invitation to come in and sit and receive that love, then your heart is transforming. So that's what he means by an alien heart, and a heart that resonates with the pain of the alien, the stranger. You were strangers, but God has made you a host. Come now to God, not by your own means, by your own works, but by Jesus' works. This is what Jesus is all about. This is the feast. He says, come to me, all you who are weary. He says, this is my body given for you. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. God is our host. So I want to close today with a poem called Love by George Herbert. Have any of you, he's the Welsh poet from the 17th century. It's a beautiful poem, but it's going to challenge you because it's, it's going to ask us to consider whether we have allowed God to be our host. And friends, of all the things that I've shared with you this morning, this is the absolute hardest. So here's some questions to, to reflect on as you hear me read this poem. What do you believe about the feast that God offers you? What do you believe about your host who offers the feast? What do you believe about his love for you? Not the person next to you, for you. Can you come as that stranger? What do you believe about the stranger in you? Can you let your host tell you that no matter what, you are worthy? Can you sit and be served? Can you sit and be be loved. This is the hard part. And that's what it means to become a Christian. 
to hear the invitation, the divine invitation, and say yes, to come and to sit. This is Love by George Herbert. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, notice the host, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. No, you must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. Let's pray. Oh God, who are we? Who are we? that we would be personally invited to a king's feast. Not just a meal, but an eternity of life and love, a revolution of transformation where every bad thing becomes untrue and every good thing becomes the reality in your love. We pray today for those of us who are wrestling with this but who are willing to say yes to Jesus and receive this invitation for the first time and to know that on this day we are becoming Christians and that now in holding us in your hands, you will never let us go. We pray for the rest of us who have heard this invitation and said yes to Jesus but, but it felt distant or awkward at the table. Now for us, we pray renewal through your Holy Spirit. We ask that you'll do this in our lives, not for our sake, but for your sake, for your glory. And we pray that we will feast with you. It's such a measure of joy. It'll be contagious and that our neighbors shall join us too. Pray in Christ's name.